Welcome to Fresh Cut Grass, light conversation with turf grass professionals from across the turf industry, with your hosts, Jeff Fowler and Tanner DelVal. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Fresh Cut Grass, a podcast for lawn care providers and sports turf managers. I'm Jeff Fowler, and with me as my co-host today is Tanner DelVal. How's it going, Jeff? Good. How are you today, Tanner? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. What uh, What's our topic for today? Oh, I think we probably ought to help um, our listeners get ready for um, spring and fall sports and get their fields ready. Yeah, I don't think anybody's been out on any turf at this point yet because we still got some snow on the ground. Yeah, if they have, it's not real grass, that's for sure. (laughs) Or it's a different type of sport that most of us play on turf. Right, right. So I guess going into the spring here, you know, as soon as the snow does, you know, melt away if if, uh, folks have it on their fields what do you think's like maybe spot number one to start in these fields well um, good question because um, I hope that our listeners have their baseball and softball fields ready um, for for spring sports Um, I always encourage people to get their spring sports ready in the fall and their fall sports ready in the spring. Um, because we all know that just as soon as that snow disappears, um, even even if it's raining and it's those fields are soggy, baseball, softball, lacrosse, all those spring sports are all going to want to be out there the very second that, that they can that that you'll let them as a turf grass manager, that the very second that you'll let them go out there. Oh yeah, for sure. So um, I guess I hope that um, I guess the one thing that I, I always recommend we start with, and that's a soil test. Um, and, and that does, you know, we can go out and do that now if we can get a probe in the ground, um, you know, across our across our fields. You know, if we've never soil tested, quite honestly, we could we could do one for all of our fields just to see where we are in general. Um, as far as our nutrient levels and our pH levels are. But if you wanted to, you could get real specific on each field and do a sample for each one. That would be ideal. But if you've never, ever tested, do one for the whole complex and just see where you are in general. Um, and then, and then you know, be ready um, on those fall sports, um, soccer, football, be ready to to get your lime down, get your fertilizer out and, you know, get ready for fall in spring. Um, but as far as spring sports go, um, you know, starting to meet those nutrient needs for the plants to get, be growing and, and actively going so that they can recover from the stress that they're going to be put under by, by being used. So when you take a, a sample for a soil sample, you know, we typically recommend them to go to how many, you know, eight to 10, 12, 15 places, 20 places on a field, combine it together in a plastic yeah. bucket. Yeah. Just take 15 or 20 samples, um, core samples, um, down three or four inches where the roots are growing, um, or where the roots will be growing. Um, take that, throw them in a plastic bucket, 
um, mix them all up real good and get a good representative sample of the soil that you took. Lay it out on newspaper, let it dry um, because you don't want it. There's no need to ship water to the lab. Um, and that's all it's going to do is weigh more. Um, so save yourself a little money and, and dry it out. Don't lay it on top of the furnace to dry it or don't put it in the oven to dry it. Just let it dry naturally. Um, artificially drying it messes up the phosphorus readings in, from the lab. So don't, don't try to speed up the process. Just let it lay on the newspa on newspaper and dry out. And then take the soil test kit and you literally only have to send a cup cup and a half of soil to the lab for them to do the, the basic nutrient analysis. Well worth the $9 that it costs or $10 that it costs. Yeah. I, I, um, I know our listeners pretty well and I know they've all wasted more than $9 on, on a whole lot less. I think I've wasted more than $9 in the last 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the other thing too, to keep in mind is frequency of testing. You know, it's not something you need to do multi multiple times per year, but maybe tracking these fields over time. Um, Cause you know, like you mentioned about putting lime down, if you're not soil testing, you have no idea if you need to be putting lime down or not. Um, and soil testing is the only way, I guess they said years ago, people, some farmers would taste the soil and say if it was sweet or not sweet and, I don't know. Most of the soil, there's a lot of worm poop and stuff in the soil. I'm just something about that. Putting that in my mouth just doesn't, doesn't yeah. do it for me. I think I'll pay no. $9 to not do that. <laughs> once, once we, once we all got old enough to know that we weren't supposed to eat soil, we, we pretty much all stopped that. Um, but yeah, for $9, you can send that into our Penn state analytical lab and, and get those results back, you know, a week, week and a half, you know, you can know exactly how much, lime and fertilizer you need to put on um, and, and not guess, you know. So you may save, um, you know, three tons of lime um, per acre by, by not having to put any lime on and you'll pay for that soil test um, just that quickly. And, and, you know, if you do those every year, um, that's a, a pretty good practice. Um, you know, if you're uh, in a high-end a high um, turf facility, high-end stadium, you're going to be soil testing more frequently than that. But we're, you know, if we're soil testing once a year, um, we're well ahead of the curve. Yeah, absolutely. Once a year would be great or even every, every other year. Yeah. And, every other two. Uh, you know, the other thing too, um, probably thinking about in the springtime, you know, you talk about potentially, you know, getting ready for the fall, you know, aeration may, may be something that some of these folks need to think about. And especially in the springtime, you might be competing with, uh, with crabgrass or something else, but I guess you want to get out there as soon as you can and get on these fields to get that seed out. Right. Yeah. I, I, um, in Pennsylvania, we're not, you know, we're not able to most of the time get on our fields after the season is over in the fall. So when football season or soccer season is finally over, it's pretty tough for us to get onto those fields and airify and overseed them at that point. Um, if we can, absolutely go do it. But um, most of the time, we have to wait until spring to, to airify those um, fall sports. And we can do the airification on spring sports in the fall um, and, and get them ready to go into their season. Um, but that airification, you know, at some point over the course of a year, 
we've got to pull cores um, and remove cores to, to, do, to be true aerification. There are lots of other ways that we can release gases or have good gas exchange. There's lots of ways we can allow more oxygen down into the, the soil for those roots to really grow. But for, for compaction relief, we have got to pull cores and, and going over them with one of those um, um, pull-behind type aerators that pulls cores out every six inches and going over it once is all that's doing is making it mad. Um, <laughs> we've got to, we've really got to, we've, if we're, if that's the kind of aerator we have, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but we're going to have to go over that field north to south, east to west, and then south to north, and then west to east, and then go diagonal. We should, we should be, go, if we're using a pull behind that the, the tines are spaced every six inches on, um, we should be going over that thing seven to eight times per aerification. <clears throat> yeah, especially if yeah, I was gonna say especially if that if uh, you're trying to really do a, a conversion to a different or a, a different type of grass, or if the field has really been neglected for sure. Yeah, um, you know, do the 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 study that, that I always quote is one that Dr. Dave Minner did out at Iowa State. And it was done a long time ago, but it's still very, very via, valid information. And that was that we should be pulling 35 three-quarter inch cores per square foot per year. Um, and do on six inch square on six inch spacings on those tines, that's that's not that's not even pulling three cores per square foot. Um, so we need to go over that thing multiple times to meet our aerification goals. Yeah, there's actually a chart, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. There's a chart that's on our extension website that uh, I know that I, I had put together a chart that outlines that dependent and it basically the variables are what your spacing is and then how big each of the tines are because certain on different types of aerators, you can modify the size of those tines or you can adjust the spacing, or if it's a reciprocating type, you can just, uh, you know, change the, the, the speed at which you are going. So those right. are definitely, definitely things that you can, you can adjust and maybe not have to go over it that many times. You could just change your times right. and achieve that same goal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you've already done the math for people. So they don't have to say, Oh, I'm not good at math. Just pull out that chart and look at it. Um, exactly. Makes it pretty easy. All right. Uh, what else do you think Jeff uh, folks should be looking at? Well, you know, once we, once we meet the nutrient needs of the plants, which is our primary goal, um, you know, should be number one. Um, you know, certainly there's lots of other things. Um, spring sports, softball, baseball, um, a couple of things that we, we need to be paying attention to. And that certainly is, um, like the playing surfaces, um, making sure that our infields, the skin area, the dirt part of our baseball and softball fields, um, stays packed pretty tight. Um, you know, in Pennsylvania, who knows whether we're going to get, um, rain, sleet, snow, or a combination of all three of them during our high school sports season in the spring. Um, so one of the ways we can help avoid some of the rainouts um, is to keep our infield mix packed really tight with some sort of a roller, whether that's a pull-behind roller um, or a vibratory street roller 
only on the dirt, not on the grass, but has some sort of a vibratory roller um, to, to keep that infield mix packed um, so that water will shed off of it instead of soaking into it. Um, we don't rely on um, Mother Nature to absorb that water um, that comes in the spring um, on our fields. A lot of the moisture we see in the spring is actually backwards water. It's water that's coming from the bottom as the frost comes out of the ground. Um, and even on, even on a dry day, we can still find a lot of moisture on those skins. Um, and, you know, our, keeping that rolled and packed tight will start to squeeze that water out of there, um, let it get out into the air, let it um, dissipate, let it um, evaporate and, and go away and get out of there. Um, so that we can then shed that water off with proper grade um, and that water to run off instead of laying there in a pool, which in our world we call a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so paying attention to those um, playing surfaces, getting them um, drug and, and scarified so that we can um, level them out and, and water will run off of them, keeping them rolled tight. Um, paying attention to the transition areas where that where the skin area meets the turf, whether that's on a baseball field in the infield, um, on the front lip or in the back arc, um, you know, on baseball and softball um, around the back edge, um, making sure that those those transition areas are are smooth. You know, you should be able to step on the the dirt and the grass at the same time with your with your flat soled shoe and not feel a difference in the elevation um yet don't don't put your good dress shoes on and say hey this doesn't feel right because you've got a heel in there um do it in your flat shoes and you you can tell whether you have a, a lip or not building up um but those those things are the things we need to pay attention to to make our fields safe but again we're not we're not going to be doing anything to them this spring that's work that we can recognize for the fall um, and, and get done in the fall of, of getting rid of lips, um, making sure our mounds and our home plates are in good order, um, making sure that they're packed tight, um, the clay in them is packed tight, or the infield mix is packed tight. Um, you know, putting clay into the batter's boxes and the catcher's area and the front slope of the mound certainly makes them wear much better and m wear much less from, from cleated play. Um, you know, one of the so so you have that as an advantage with clay, but you also have the disadvantage of you've got to put a tarp on it. Um, and I'm not talking about one of the the the, the four ninety nine tarps um, that you pick up at the um, at the hardware store. We need a good um, vinyl tarp to put on those clay mounds and batters boxes. Um, everybody always says to me when, when our local fields that I help take care of, well, Jeff, it's not going to rain tonight. Don't worry about putting those tarps on. And I, I have tried to, over the last 25 years, beat into their heads that um, the tarp isn't to keep water off. It's to keep water in. It's to keep that clay moist enough that um, when, our, when our athletes go out to play on it, they can get their cleats into it. Yeah, and after... Uh after you play a game or before you put a tarp on probably not a bad practice especially if it is dry to give it some water then put a tarp over it to keep that water in there uh, you know not obviously over water you're not trying to make mud but you want to get some moisture in there 
because you can't re-wet the clay. You know, once it completely dries out, you're you're not going to be able to get it back to the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's, it 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 takes a long time to do it because basically you're 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 forming bricks. Um, you're, you're taking clay and firing it by making it hot and dry. Um, so you're making a brick. Um, and and I know what some people are listening are going to say is, well, bricks. That's a good idea. Let's let's just put bricks down in that mound, um, and and then they won't dig a hole. Um, yeah, and they also um, will never be playing on a safe mound, right? So why, why, why fix it if you're going to fix it wrong? Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. And the same thing too about like puddles on the fields. You know, I see a lot of mistakes that people use with that. You ever been on a little league field? I'm sure, I'm sure you have where you go on a field and it's just no matter where you walk, if it's bone dry, it's concrete. Or if it's super wet, it's mud and you have to, you know, call a game. And a lot of that I believe is due to folks improperly using, you know, calcine, the really ultra fine quick dries. Uh, is yeah. that right? Yeah. Those, those quick dries. Um, I, you know, if you're going to use quick dries to, to soak up a wet spot on a field, um, you, you should really pick those up after they do what they're supposed to do and get them off of the field because all their, all that fine dust is going to do is continue to absorb water um, so even when it rains, a nice rain that you would normally be able to play on, that area that has a quick dry material um, in it is going to hold that water in there even longer and, and make it very difficult to ever get played on. Yeah, I think the idea, you know, for sure behind it is uh, if you you put a bag down, that bag should be coming back up within, you know, a half hour, an hour, you know, not that long. Right. Uh, realistically, you could put it down and pick it up probably in five minutes, you know, after it absorbs all that water, a better, a better strategy is probably to use like a big pillow or part of like a cushion or something, something that you can put down, absorb the water, take it and wring it out. It's also not going to cost nearly as much as well. Yeah. I I've seen, I am, we used to, the, 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 the high school where our fields used to be, um, our little league fields, um, one day had some mop buckets sitting out by the dumpster. Um, and so we grabbed them and we used the mop buckets to squeeze out our puddle pillows out on the field. And then we would literally just take the, the bucket off of the and, and dump it off the field and bring it back on if we had a wet spot and, and do it that way. And then as soon as that as soon as we that game was over and the infield dried out, then we got to go to work fixing that low spot um, that caused the puddle in the first place. Um, a lot of field days I've gone to over my career and somebody will always ask me, well, how do I dry out? a? How do I fix it? You know, how do I dry out a puddle? Um, you know, to, the one that's the one that causes me to cancel the game. And I always, my answer always is if that's what you brought me here for you, we're wasting our time because we can't do that. Um, we gotta, we gotta fix that before it becomes a problem. Yeah, for sure. And you know, making sure that your slopes are correct is going to solve so much of those problems, you know, making sure that your water is draining properly, you know, definitely not draining into the infield or, you know, you want the water to go to the shortest place it has to get at, off of those skinned areas. 90% of the game is played on those areas. So you got to make sure you get them dry. Um, and just by doing your, you know, most of the time you want your water to drain out into the outfield and out and away or toward the dugout or wherever, just somewhere off the, the center part of that field. 
And that's going to reduce a lot of your problems, but just dumping quick dry in there and then playing on top of it. I mean, it's, that's really going to hurt you more in the long run than help you. Yeah. A few years ago, we actually um, spent the money to get our, our local fields that I helped take care of fixed um, and, and paid somebody to come in and grade them and they were graded wrong. And all the water, instead of grading to outside, um, to the outer, outer edge, drained to the inner edge, and they had too much material built up and water couldn't leave the what was now a pond. Um, and that field never got had a game played on it that year. Um, we had to wait until, because it was what, it was a wet year and the water just, we could never get, we never played a game on that field. We had to wait until the fall when it finally dried out um, to get the company to come back and regrade and fix the problem. Um, and then it was, it was fine. So what about, you know, I see, I've seen some crazy things you've been doing it longer than me. So I'm sure you've, uh, you've seen some crazy things, but what about just, you know, throwing a grate out there where all the water puddles up and just hooking it up to a drain line. And that way the, the water can just get out of there. Yeah. That works for a couple of weeks, um, <laughs> maybe a couple of months. Um, but, uh, you know, this, the, the way soil is made um, or, you know, the composition of, of soil is it's made up of sand, silt, and clay. And, you know, we have this cool little triangle that um, is a soil texture triangle, and it, it shows different percentages of those, those particles. And even um, if we get tested, it'll even show us the size of the, the pieces of sand that are in that infield mix. Um, but those, the silt and the clay particles are really tiny. Um, it's hard to tell the difference. So guaranteed, um, you put a drain in there, that silt and clay, those particles are going to rush to the openings of the pipe that you're putting in. And um, especially if you put a filter fabric around the outside of it, guaranteed it'll work for um, a couple of months and then it's going to collapse or it's going to stop working and you know, everybody will um, be calling, be calling Jeff and saying, Hey, that worked, but then it quit working. Um, it's a, it's a quick fix, but it's not gonna, it's not an everlasting grade is the only way um, we can get water out of those areas. Oh yeah. And a lot of these mistakes have been made, you know, when they were, these fields were put in, they just didn't have the foresight of where this water needs to run or where it should go. And, you know, I've seen fields drain, to home plate already. <laughs> so yep. it's just crazy. Yep. But then again, I've seen people put literal plastic drains in the field of play, which is just kind of absurd because that's just such a hazard <laughs> for someone to a, trip on. I had a, uh, I had a field uh, one time call me. Um, actually, the installer called me because they were being taken to court over this, but they had put filter fabric underneath all the infield mix. So they put eight inches of infield mix down on a softball field and underneath that filter, underneath the, that eight inches, they put down a filter fabric and unbeknownst to the installer. So the, the silt and clay particles clogged up that. So it was just like a big bathtub with a liner in the bottom of it. So we lit the only solution that we could come up with was to go around and pound holes in that filter fabric and allow the water to go through. And sure enough, the softball team had um, rebar um, 
you know, long pieces of rebar and hammers, and they pounded rebar holes every, you know, six inches across the whole field. And it, it drained like a, like a trooper after that. But um, those filter fabrics aren't made for, they're made for building roads on. They're not made for athletic fields. Oh, no. I definitely think that maybe we'll have to have a show to talk about all about drain pipe and drainage. We could go on for hours about the mistakes oh, that people make for sure. We could do a whole talk just on dumb drainage things I've seen over my 35 year career. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. It is for sure. Well, I guess transitioning to a little bit, some, you know, a different topic and maybe addressing like, what about these fences? These are other things that sometimes are neglected, you know, and safety issues that probably for not that much money could be improved and they can really make a difference uh, for your field. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, making sure your fences are, are safe um, is absolutely paramount. Um, I have seen fences um, installed upside down um, where the sharp points that belong down at the bottom are up at the top. Um, you know, just a, it's like, it's like um, playing on a pin cushion. Um, so there's lots of ways we can protect that, right? With We've all seen the plastic caps over the top of them. Um, um, but I have lots and lots of pictures um, of fences fixed with duct tape, fences fixed with um, um, zip ties, fences fixed with um, concrete poles. Um, so, so if you look at this from a liability standpoint, um, not only are we saying, wow, this fence is broken, but it was, and it's a hazard, we're making an effort to fix it improperly. So the liability becomes doubled. Not only is the fence bad, we've also got the liability of, oh, look, Johnny or Susie tried to fix the thing and they did it haphazard anyway. So, um, you know, if you're going to fix them, fix them right. Um, get them, you know, get them safe. Get them, make sure that the the, the rounded points are up. Cup, cap them with um, a, a plastic cap. Down around the bottom, um, there's some products you can put underneath the fence to, to keep grass from growing up underneath. You can certainly spray it um, to keep the grass out of those areas. Um, you know, check them out because frost does heave the concrete that those poles are put in the ground with. Um, sometimes you have to go out and make sure those are settled back in after winter. Um, but if it was put in properly, it, you know, it should it should last a long time without a whole lot of whole lot of effort. Absolutely. Um, what about, you know, go ahead. No, that's just going to say the, you know, the, those transition areas, the, the fences, the, the grass to dirt, we talked about making sure they're nice and level. Um, you know, one of the big things I see when I'm out there um, um, is coming out of the dugouts, you know, running onto the field, people will put down um, stone or, um, other products and, and they just keep spreading out wider and wider and the, 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 the growth of the, the, of that area that we're asking athletes to, to run over every time they go out onto a field just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. I'd much rather see those areas just not have anything in them or, um, even some, some carpet, some synthetic turf, um, put down in those areas. If, if, if that's an answer, but, um, you know, putting down, um, 
little fine dust, limestone dust, you know, that, that the athletes are just going to push aside all the time. And then we just put more in next year, more in next year, just, um, eventually it just looks like a, a, a big trough to bowl in. Absolutely. And, you know, and the same thing goes at like warning tracks or tracks, you know, these areas where people walk, I mean, you can really take your field or your area that, you know, from like a, a zero to a hero by just doing some small things. You know, one of the questions I get a lot is like, how do I stop, you know, stuff from growing on my infields or even on like the warning track? And hopefully, you know, your warning track is something that you can drag just like you drag, you know, in an infield. I mean, that's the proper thing to do is to drag um, no matter what. I mean, you got play on there and you're dragging throughout the season. So people want to always put a chemical down or they want to, what, what can I spray on there? I mean, there are preventers out there, but the problem is, is it's a barrier and you break that barrier as soon as you run across it or walk across it. And then it's pretty much useless. Um, so, you know, maybe in some situations, if a field is going to lay fallow and no one's going to be on it whatsoever, there may be a use for that. Um, but realistically, you need to be dragging these fields on a regular basis. Yeah, they're fine during the plane season, right? Um, they look great. And then as soon as the, as soon as the last, the championship game is played, the, everybody walks away from them and nobody sees them again until spring when, you know, summer goes through and winter goes through and then they come back out in the spring and they're like, Hey, how come there's grass in my infield? Well, because you didn't do anything to it, um, before you put it to bed in the fall. And after the season was over, you just stopped dragging it. So yeah, dragging them to keep it so that those seeds never have the opportunity to germinate. Um, and there are, you know, there is no um, one-stop shop spray that we can put out there. Um, I have seen some pre-emergent herbicides work. Um, but like you said, you break that barrier and then you have um, places for those seeds to just go out every one, once a week and just drag the things and um, it gets you out of the, it gets you out of the um, office and gets you off the mower. Just go drag the, the baseball and softball fields. Oh yeah. I've seen people get pretty creative with their teams after the season's over and requiring people to come out and do some dragging. I mean, there's a lot of logistics involved there. So that's kind of on a site by site basis. But another thing that I have seen are people using some of these bare ground materials on infields and then rain coming and washing, even though the field may drain good. Um, well, that water that's on that infield is going to go into your outfield. And I've seen people use some materials. Now, glyphosate or roundup is not one that will move once it's dry it is you know bonded to the soil particles and it's you know pretty much inert it doesn't it's not going to affect anything at that point but there are other materials that could potentially be used um probably mostly off label uh for that type of a use but people use them and rain will come and they'll wash into the outfield and then you have a bunch of dead grass and dead grass that may be dead for years because you have used some sort of material so from a safety standpoint, as far as safety for the turf, uh, you know, I typically don't recommend the use of uh, bare ground materials on fields. Um, I see a lot of folks, especially on warning tracks, using things like glyphosate, which is fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with that material to use it that way, but they get carried away uh, on the inside of the track, you know, kill, killing some weeds that may like kind of come into the field. And then you get like this you know, wormy pattern all along the outside where it looks like, 
you know, just wavy and just doesn't look very clean. So, I mean, ideally, you know, we could talk about turf maintenance and putting down preventers and things like that, but, you know, being able to drag your, your warning track is important. Just, you know, maybe not as important as your infield because there's not a lot of play in it, but from an aesthetic standpoint, um, you may really want to think about dragging that and maybe still using, you might have to spot spray some glyphosate or some kind of non-selective material here and there, but uh, it's definitely an area that can make your field really look a lot better and cleaner. Yep. Yep. It'll, um, it'll, I, I always tell people, non, non-sports turf people, if you really want to know, um, you know, you go to a tournament to, to play, um, you really want to know what kind of a person takes care of the field, um, fields at this location you don't come during the tournament to look at it. You come three weeks after the tournament. Um, and that's when they're still out there edging the warning tracks and, and doing all those things that need to be done. Um, we can all get, we can all put lipstick on a pig, um, and, and make it look good, but managing a field, um, you know, takes, takes a year round effort. There's just no, there's no easy way to do it. Um, no, no, no fix all hit it with a hammer and, and move on kind of thing. And a lot of it's going to depend on your maintenance um, or your ability and budget to do these things. I mean, all of these things could be a pipe dream for some volunteer organizations, but there are situations like with fence lines, for instance, you know, that's an area that, man, your field can look like crap. If you have fence lines that just have vines growing up them and everything, there are materials out there that, you know, from a chemical standpoint that can be sprayed along these fence lines to keep them bare. I think a bare bottom is a lot easier, you know, at the bottom of fences is, is a lot more aesthetically pleasing than something with a bunch of weeds growing up through it. Because, I mean, you're going to have grass that comes up, but these other types of weeds like, you know, dandelion and, you know, viney weeds, especially let's think about from a dermatitis standpoint, something like poison ivy or Virginia creeper. I mean, I've been to a lot of fields that have that stuff around and we got kids running around. It's just not, it's not a good look and it's not really safe. So these are all things that you can, you can do. Um, You know, you just, uh, just got to think about. I coached baseball. I coached baseball for years and there was one particular field. I remember going to that had um, poison Ivy growing up the fence outside of the dugouts. Um, We got there before the other team did we were the visiting team and we went to the other dugout and we knew it was their home dugout, but I wasn't going to put our kids um, right next to the, the poison Ivy. And it wasn't just like, it was a decorate. It looked like English Ivy. That's how much was growing. Like Wrigley like, field. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. It looked like Wrigley field, but it was poison Ivy instead of um, English Ivy. Yeah. It's uh, it's some of the things that you see over the years, um, you know, simple things that you really could take care of in, in an hour or two hours. Very, very simple. Um, there's a lot of resources out there for it. I mean, there's, you know, companies out there that sell all these sports turf Pacific products. You know, you don't have to, just because your local hardware store doesn't carry some of these things doesn't mean you can't get them, especially with, you know, how easy it is to order and get things now. Um, you can really make your field look a lot better and just a better and and more enjoyable experience for fans and for players. Yeah. For players. And and honestly, it makes your job as a field manager a lot easier to stay on top of it as if, you know, it's like um, cleaning out the garage. You know, if, if you just keep throwing things into the garage and keep throwing them in and throwing them in, it becomes overwhelming to try to clean it. Um, The same thing happens with your field. If you, 
if you just ignore it all the time, it's very difficult to get back on top of it. But once you get on top of it, it, it takes an hour every day or an hour every, after every game or two hours a week to stay on top of it um, to keep it safe. And that's the big thing is to keep it safe. Um, you know, it's... You can, and you can use that... that- word right there is so important safe and safety especially nowadays i mean you can use that typically with administrators to get more funding if it's going to help your field safer you you should be able to sell it to them i mean and sometimes that's part of your job is to maybe a budget is a problem but when you talk about safety for children i mean there's there's really nothing that's more important i would rather see if i visit a field and the fences are terrible i would rather not have them spend a dime on turf materials but fix that fence first you know that's right. the safety is so important or a mound you know i visited fields you know especially you know some of these fields that are not used year round where just like you said jeff you know they 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 play on them and then the championships over and then they don't get touched for 8 months 9 months and those are the areas where, you know, just fix the mound and fix the plate. I mean, there's so many issues and injuries occur because of this stuff. Same thing with bases. We didn't even talk about bases and the problems with, with some of the base designs that people have um, with concrete. You know, they have concrete uh, you know, pieces inside there to hold it together. I and mean, we've seen it all. And those are the things. Spend money on that before the grass. Um, for sure, if those are things that are really going to be an issue. And don't I really try not to let money be your, your holdup. I had a I had a call one time um, wanting me to come to the field to help them um, decide where they were going to position their brand new ten thousand dollar scoreboard. Okay, so so I went out and and we we looked at the place and I said you know it was terrible the 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 lips at the transition areas were. Were ten inches tall, and the the lip around you know first base where where they had been dragging you know was twelve inches tall, and and I just shook my head and I I couldn't I couldn't help myself. Um, I just said, look, I I can't tell you where to put the scoreboard because, um, in in my mind, this field's not playable. Um, you shouldn't be putting up a scoreboard to keep track of something that shouldn't even be played here, and and they were pretty upset with me as you can imagine. Um, so, so I left and about four days later, my phone rang and it was the same school. They had their starting first baseman trip over the, the lip into foul territory and broke both of his arms um, in, in one fall. Um, you know, he was looking up in the sky, looking for a foul ball, wasn't paying attention, tripped over the lip, broke both arms, and, and now all of a sudden... Oh, now we're not worried about the scoreboard. We, now we need to get rid of these lips. Um, but I see it all the time. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the same thing goes with like bleachers. I saw a situation where, you know, you look at bleachers. I mean, it's not even part of the field of play. You know, it's, it's for the fans or the, the parents. And you look at these wooden bleachers and it's just like a joke, you know, that they fall, you know, people get hurt. And then I look, though, that they don't want to spend money on the bleachers, but they want to spend money on kids having all the new uniforms with their names on the back every year. It's like, where are the priorities here? Um, you know, we don't want to see anybody get hurt. So, uh, you know, it's all it's all um, it's all yeah, things the, to, to be. The, the, the question I encourage all all sports turf managers, and that's what people that are are taking care of a field, whether they're mom and dad that are whose kids play 
they're the sports turf manager at that facility, right? I mean, we, we don't have to have any fancy degrees to do this. We, we have an interest in taking care of the field. So the, the big question when you look at anything um, is, is it safe? Uh, you know, and that's the, the question. If it's not safe, how do you make it safe? You know, what do you have to do? What steps do you need to take to, to make that field safe? And, and uh, 100%. And as a manager, a sports turf manager, you know, that's part of your job is to be able to identify those things. I mean, maybe you may not think that uh, the money might not be there to fix them, or maybe it's kind of obvious and you think someone else might have to handle it. But, you know, being the professional, you should be able to identify those. And, you know, maybe you can't solve them on your own, but to identify them, I mean, you could really save someone from potentially getting hurt really badly or, you know, having potential liability, um, for right, sure. Right. Well, I used to have a, in my, in the, in the little league shop, um, at the local fields, I used to have a white eraser board, a raceable board. I mean, and I would write on that board every, every time I was over at the field, things that needed to be done. Um, and all those things were safety minded. So, um, you know, hey, I saw a, a stake sticking up behind the fence um, on field three. You know, somebody needs to pound that down. Or it was never mow. It was never fertilized. It was never. It was just the little things that somebody could do if they came over even 15 minutes before the game. They could say, oh, you know what? I saw on the board back there that um, we need to – there's a stake out in in – you know, behind right field that needed to be put down that maybe a fan might trip over. Well, you know, somebody will run back and pound that down if we engage them, people and we communicate with them and tell them what we need um, instead of trying to take it all on ourselves and say, you know, we got to communicate what we need with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's like the last thing too, like we, we touched base a lot on the, the mound and the plate, you know, not letting these problems get out ahead of you, you know, so like after every game or every other game, you know, besides putting the tarp back on and, and watering a little bit, you're filling that, you know, those divots out, you know, wherever the, you know, those holes start to don't let them, don't let it go to the end of the season, because then you have to do a complete rebuild where all you had to do was spend 15 minutes, you know, on, a, you know, on a, on a Saturday afternoon after the game or something and fix it. And then it's back to normal. I mean, that it, right. it's easy. Yeah. And, and um, the other thing that, that uh, I'll say for myself, and I won't speak for Tanner's time, but I will speak for Jeff's time. Um, I'm willing to come out and do clinics um, to teach people the right way to fix those things. So, you know, we can do a parents meeting at any league or any place and, um, you know, we'll, we'll teach you how, how to do those things to, to make sure it's done right. So that it's not just all fall on, so it doesn't all fall on one person's back. Um, you know, there's lots of videos online how to do this stuff too, um, on how to fix a mound or how to fix a plate. Um, but just expecting people to know how to do it, it's not going to happen. So you have to show them um, how you want it done so that they're not just doing willy-nilly stuff. 
Oh yeah. And there's a reason for these, the specs that are out there. I mean, it, as a parent, you want to have your child performing on the best possible field. It's also replicatable so that they can perform the same way on other fields. You know, for a pitcher, for instance, you know, you want that mound everywhere to be the same. So, um, you know, letting it go and just, you know, kind of neglecting, it's really not a, it's not a good excuse. Um, that's, I mean, that, a, bag, a bag of mound clay is like 10, 15 bucks. I mean, it's not that big of a, of an expense. That's why major league baseball has, um, rules that says their their mound will be 10 inches higher than their plate. And Major League Baseball comes around and checks those things to make sure that that's the way they are so that, um, you know, XYZ pitchers throw it in Philadelphia when he goes to Pittsburgh. It feels like the same mound underfoot. You don't want to be, as a sports manager, you don't want to be the reason why someone it fails or can't do their job as a pitcher or whatever, a first baseman right, or whoever it right. is because of that. And same thing with lips. I mean, all of this, we can go on and on about, you know, lips and, you know, I mean, I used to be an infielder and, you know, how many, I remember those bad lips and the, the ones where you get those bad bounces and sometimes you take it to the chin and it, and it makes a yeah. difference. And you don't want, you don't want, you don't want to be an excuse why a, a team potentially wins or loses, though people will make many excuses, but try to eliminate as many of those as you can. Yeah, one one of the big things, I, I've spent a number of years um, on the grounds crew with, in Williamsport for the Little League World Series, and inevitably um, we'll catch somebody who um, wants us to, to, to cut a groove, to cut a hole in the mound, um, you know, cause they're, they're, that's what they're, that's what their pitcher is used to throwing on. Um, they've never, they've never performed on a, on a perfectly manicured mound. Um, and you know, it's, it's tough to try to explain that this is the way it's supposed to be. Yep. Um, but. No, absolutely. Well, you think there's anything else you want to add? No, the, o- the only thing, you know, is now is. Now is not the time. Now is the time to pay attention to our fall sports fields. Um, spring, not not today because I don't know about your place, Tanner, but we still have snow on the ground. Yep. Um, but but you know, having um, now is the time to start thinking about prepping our fall sports fields for for play and doing that in the spring. And then when springtime comes or when fall comes, getting our fields ready for springtime play. So. Um, you know, making sure that you're airifying, top dressing, overseeding, taking care of those transition zones. I'll tell you, the one that a lot of people forget about, especially on volunteer-driven um, fields, is mowing practices. You know, making sure that it's mowed on a regular basis, um, never removing more than a third of the green growth at one time, um, certainly helps um, make that turf healthier um, and more disease resistance. Um you know, those things are, are just absolutely vital um, in making our fields safe. Oh, absolutely. All, all definitely good things to, to consider and think about. Yeah, so I think that probably wraps us up for this episode of Fresh Cut Grass. Um, if you have any questions um, that you'd like for Tanner and I to address, um, you can reach us at a real simple email address. It's just freshcutgrass, all one word, all um, at psu.edu. That's freshcutgrass at psu.edu. If you have questions or comments for us, um, 
feel free to throw them at us in that email and we can certainly try to address them, bring on special guests to um, maybe help address a problem if we start to see trends with, with multiple questions coming in related to the same topic. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much and uh, take care. Okay, we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.